0: Let me pray before we start. Our great God, we do want to thank you that we do have a mighty, mighty Saviour. And thank you that He can wash away our sin. But what a lot of sin we have to wash away. Now, we don't normally see that, Father. And naturally, we wouldn't want to say things like that about ourselves. And so, therefore, we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us and teach us from the Bible that we might get a better understanding of what we're like and then, in that way, to begin a humble relationship with you. So help us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 So, Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means! Let God be true, though every one were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what should we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in the human way. By no means. For then how could jo- God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying. And that condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. before their eyes now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now I'm going to uh, stop there for a moment. The children are going to go out with Hannah and then we'll carry on looking at those words and uh, learning from them. Let's stop for a tick while they leave. Well let's go back to then Romans chapter 3 and uh, let me ask you this question to get you thinking at the start. Is it possible to have a non-angry God? I think everyone agrees if there is a God that he ought to be ticking the love box but does he have to tick the angry box as well? I think one of the reasons why people find the Bible so hard is because no one wants God to be angry which is another way of actually saying that no one wants God to be God if you think about it because chapter 1 tells us that if you want a non-angry God you've got to invent Him and as chapter 1 verse 18 says we've got to suppress the truth about Him if we're going to whitewash uh, that or airbrush anger from the God who is real but when you think about it that just doesn't make sense because whenever we judge people for doing wrong, what we're really saying is, they shouldn't be getting away with that. But here's the problem. If they should be getting away with it, well, nor should I. And whenever I go and do the same thing, I deserve to be judged as well. That's what uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 3. Do you suppose, so man you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you're going to escape the judgment of God. And it is interesting, isn't it? You go around the estate, and one of the reasons people say they've been put off God is that bad things happen in the world, and usually they give examples with children, which is a current thing at the moment if you watch the news. And and people say, don't they, uh, look... <laughs> Don't tell me that there's a God because these bad things have happened and he hasn't stopped them. What they're really saying is they want God to wade in and be angry with the people who do bad things. So they stop. In other words, people do want God to tick the angry box rather than to uh, uh, suppress the truth about him and to say that he isn't. But then you say okay well that's fine yeah I I, I can I can I can go this far I can I can see that God has got to be angry sometimes but what, what about me I mean if I'm someone who tries to read my Bible and live by the Bible that I read would God be angry with me would he be right to be angry with me well that's that's what the Jewish people used to say at that time because they read their bibles a lot and they tried to do it and at the end of chapter 2 what paul says to them is look i know we're great at reading the bible and i know we're great at telling other people how to obey the bible it's just that what we read we don't actually do ourselves so chapter 3 verse 21 he says um, sorry chapter 2 verse 21 he says you then who teach others do you not teach yourself And you do all the things that you tell other people not to do. In fact, what happens is that other people who don't read their Bibles do the Bible better than we who read it. So, then that brings about the obvious question, doesn't it? What's the point of having a Bible at all if it doesn't give us any advantage over the person who doesn't have the Bible? If they don't have it and they do it and they're okay... Well, what's the point of having a Bible in the first place? That's what we're going to be looking at as Paul answers that question, what about people like us who read the Bible, go to church? Where do we stand in all of this? And is it worth us doing what we're doing at the moment, which is to read the Bible and try and understand it? Well, let's just think about that. Let me make the first point by saying the Bible is clear is it an advantage to have the bible yes you've got in chapter 3 verse uh, uh, 2 the very oracles of god you've got the very words of god when you've got the bible open in your hand these words are fantastic words they actually promised a man Called Abraham right the start. That God would bless his family and through his family bless the whole world. And the Bible has words like that that tell us what God is like. So you've got this uh, Bible, you open it up, and right the start, you see how God blesses people. And it's uh, through Abraham you discover the perfect blessings of god as you open up the bible but then it's also true that god actually told those people who he made a covenant with that if they broke the covenant then god would have to punish sin he also said that in the bible so the question in verse 3 is really isn't that a bit of a contradiction How is it that uh, God um, says he's going to bless people in his covenant but punish them if they break the covenant? So he can't be faithful to his promise to bless that nation if he says the deal is off if they break the covenant and kick that into touch. And they say here, well would he do that if some have broken the covenant? And Paul comes back and he says, never mind some breaking the covenant, verse 3, what if some weren't faithful? Paul says, let me God be true if everyone was a liar, in other words, treated the covenant like it wasn't true. God would still be true to it because in the covenant it says that God will punish those who break his commands, even though they are his covenant people. And he quotes uh, their famous King David in verse 4. And King David was actually a man who knew that God had promised to bless him. And uh, he was an amazing uh, king of Israel, the best that they had. But then what David did was he committed adultery and then he committed murder. And what does he say after that? If you look at Psalm 51 verse 4, which tells you what he was feeling at the time, well, it's here. He says, God, you'll be right to judge me. That's what he says in verse 4, that you may be justified in your works and you will prevail in that judgment. So David knew what God said about adultery and murder, and he had suppressed what God said about adultery and murder at that time so God would be right to tick the angry box with him well Paul's got someone who might want to come back at that and he says well look think about it like this if my badness shows that God is good because he judges my badness then surely it means actually i'm doing God a favor by being bad because it can show off how good he is so therefore how would God punish me if i'm really ultimately making him shine Why would he be angry with me if that was the case? And Paul says, idiot. No, he doesn't actually say that. In verse 5 he says, I speak in a human way if I'm talking like that, which is the same thing, idiot. Because if God is going to take the line where, okay, your badness will show off my goodness, therefore I won't punish you, well, that means that God's not going to punish anyone, is he? So he's not going to show how good he is. So, that's the idiot argument. At the end of verse 8, Paul says that God is right to condemn idiots. The Bible is really clear about God's promise that he will punish those who break his covenant. And we need to understand the Bible is massively clear about that. And to rub it in a little bit more, Having said that in verses 1 to 8, here's the second point. Verses 9 to 20, you can see the Bible is clear about sin. Ah, That's important because we aren't that clear about sin. We think that there are some bad people, looking at no one in particular, And we think that there are some good people looking at no one in particular. And we probably think that we're nearer the good side. But verse 9 says, please stop doing that. No one is righteous, not even one. Don't don't go near uh, saying that uh, some people are better off than others and what uh, verses 10 to 12 do is they tell us that actually when push comes to shove none of us really want God that much when you think about it okay everyone uh, is offside and if you put God uh, in um, uh, the middle of us uh, we're probably likely to be not particularly wanting to get too close I don't know if you go to uh, bowling clubs Uh, when I'm really old I go to a bowling club and I learn how to roll the ball on the ground. Have you seen it happen? What happens is there's a little white ball at the front end, it's called a jack, and you roll the black ball and the black ball's got a bias to it and if you're really clever you can curve it round so the black ball finishes up near the white ball. You're not old are you? So you don't know any of that but let me tell you that game exists and It's like that with us. We're like that black ball with a bias in it. We will always go curving away from God if you roll us towards him. Okay, you may not know bowling. Forget the bowling bit, okay? What you might know is this little story Jesus told about two sons called the prodigal son story. Do you know that one? Actually, in the prodigal son story, there are two sons. And you can, they show that they, you can, you can uh, not seek God in different ways. Uh, you can do it uh, by simply dumping God and then breaking all the rules. That's one way you can do it. The other way is to stay close to Him and to look loyal, but then the cracks appear when we don't love broken people the way God loves broken people. See, neither of those sons really wanted God. And no one seeks God either where like one or the other of those two. And then in verses uh, 13 to 16, it comes out in what we say and what we do. It's actually pretty strong language if you look at it. Their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. And so it goes on. Just to get across the seriousness of how bad we can say things in a way that is so harmful. Now, we think it's the other way around, actually. We think it's what we do that really hurts people. So, in verse 15, you see how we can have our feet uh, swift to shed blood, in other words the direction of our lives that's where our feet take us is towards hurting people maybe in in different physical ways we might do that but it's not the feet that are heading to swift to blood Uh, it's actually our words that give people a good kicking more often in the way that we uh, talk to them Now, you might think this is a little bit OTT of Paul. I think it's a bit harsh to say that there is snake poison under my lips. But then I haven't been on the receiving end of my venom, have I? Other people have. They might just think that Paul's got a point. And in verses uh, 17... Sorry, you've got the venom there. And in verses 17 to 18... I think Paul wants to make the point that we can't solve this I mean if we don't know the way of peace in verse 17 how can we ever find it it's not going to happen and we'll have no fear of God if we haven't got a clue how massively righteous God is we've got no idea of the kind of God that we're dealing with that's our problem and therefore how big his angry box is if we provoke him. You've got a small view of God and he's got to be pretty harmless. The Bible tells us he is a whole lot more righteous than we even dream is possible. We ought to fear that. Now you might say, as actually a couple of us were talking before the service, that You know, how do you convince people outside who don't go to church that we are as bad as this? Let me tell you that Paul's biggest challenge is not the people outside. His biggest challenge is to silence the protests of respectable people who go to church and read their Bibles and can't accept that we are like this all these verses uh, in Paul's day uh, they would apply to the Jew because the Old Testament was written to Jewish people all these verses therefore Paul uses a kind of mishmash a medley of Old Testament sayings that God said to his covenant people and say well this is what the covenant people of God are like not the outsider this is us So what can we learn from all this? But I guess it's worth actually asking, how are we going to respond when we look at these verses and we think that they're talking about us? I guess we could go one or two ways, couldn't we? We can either take umbrage and say, no way. You can't talk like this and say, everybody is... uh, Uh, like this, uh, as bad as this. That's what I hate about church. It puts people on a guilt trip and it makes them feel bad about themselves. And the inner lawyer comes out and starts fighting and talking back. Well, that's one way of doing it. And to say, no, I'm going to push back against what I'm hearing here. Just isn't true. Or we can actually go the other way, couldn't we? And we begin to see the lights go on as we finally begin to see this actually is me. And when that happens, it is something that God is doing because he is the one who shuts up the protesting mouth in verse 19. And we begin to actually discover that Paul might have a point. That he's actually right about us when he says these things. And the defendant, if you like, has got nothing to say in his defense. And if he's going to open his mouth and say anything, it would be something like verse 3. You will be justified in your words. You will be right to judge. So let me ask you, if you're someone who's really wanting to to think seriously how the Bible might fit in with your life, here's where you might start. Look at those verses 10 to 18 and why didn't you do this little exercise and put your name into uh, the black spots? None is righteous Angela is not righteous. Angela does not understand. Verona is not seeking God. Mike has turned away. Faramaz has not done good. Put your name into all those slots and then take in what these words are saying. And you might begin to see that actually verses 10 to 18 are a little bit like a mirror. And if you are beginning to see yourself in these verses with humility rather than pride, you might be surprised to discover that you have actually already started on the road back to God. Because he stopped the protest and you're seeing the truth. What about, uh, so, yes, uh, humble ourselves and we see that, uh, what these verses are telling us although they bring us down are actually true what about if you go to church a lot or you have been to church a lot this is where the shock waves really hit home in this passage because it's written to people like that can you just imagine going to your ordinary respectable Church of England Church and saying look uh, we're not better off in verse 9 and let me tell you what God says uh, his people are like in the Bible. So y- that I take it includes you and then you read verses 10 to 18 in front of this nice respectable Church of England congregation and you say, this is you I'm talking about. How do you think that will go down? Never mind respectable Church of England. How about a hyper-enthusiastic black Pentecostal church? And you go in and you take the service and you start off by saying, why don't we all stand up and read some words about ourselves? Okay? Uh, So we'll all do that. We'll all open up the Bible and we'll go to uh, Romans chapter 3 and verses uh, um, uh, 10 to 18. And we'll read these verses. Remember, we're talking about ourselves. You try and do that in an African church, in a Pentecostal church, you won't get too many Alleluia's while they're reading. And the reason why these words don't get near a mention in African churches or Pentecostal churches is because you won't get too much money out of people Mm. if you say this is what they're really like. And yet this is what we are really like. So then what happens if you're a real believer? Well, actually, we're slightly clever, aren't we? We can do a little bit more defending if we want to. We can say, look, we don't need to look at these words too carefully about ourselves because Jesus has died for us to forgive us, so we don't need to worry about this kind of thing anymore. But another way of looking at it is actually, yeah, we can actually say these things about ourselves because Jesus died for us. It just goes to show that he takes that uh, action to put us right with God. So these words, therefore, must be true about us. And so, therefore, it may be that you're someone who's beginning to see that is true about yourself. Maybe you've had a a lousy, rotten week and you come here and you look at verse 9 and you say, yep, this is me. My life, I can tell you, is under sin. You come here feeling like you failed. And you might think, well, therefore, that means I'm really spiritually unfit. I'm really spiritually unwell. But my friend, let me tell you that if your heart resonates with what the Bible is telling you about your heart then you are in a really good place because you've got honesty in your system and that is a very healthy place to be. You're not sick. The Bible is helping you to discover the reality that you might have felt is actually the reality in your life. If you don't feel that uh, this is true of you, let me ask you to look at those verses again and to actually take them out of Bible world and put them into your real world and work out what you're like. Are you someone who seeks for God? Let me ask you, this last week, outside come in church on Sunday how much time have you spent just by yourself seeking God spending some time in the Bible and talking to him about uh, what you found there how much how much time have you done that have you been seeking God are you good Uh, no one does good I just wonder whether when we look at our uh, greedy rather than generous use of money on ourselves where the goodness test is uh, really something we'd want to brag about what about uh, throats being an open grave Uh, what have your words been like when you've had a disagreement with someone even if you didn't say to their face what's it been like in terms of what you've actually thought about them and what about uh, feet swift to shed blood let me ask you are you making progress in those destructive patterns of behavior that you are battling with or is your feet still moving towards them See my friend, our problem is if we don't like guilt trips, they'll stop us doing the reality checks that will actually help us to go speechless with shame and to see how helpless we are to do anything about it. Do we see ourselves in the mirror when we look at these words? The point is this, if you don't have a reality check like this you will never actually start seeking God. If we don't (coughs) confess that we are like this to God in some degree of honesty every day then I want to suggest that we're never going to seek God, apart from superficially maybe, and therefore we'll never really find him either. So if your conversations with God have no confessions in them, I would suggest that your relationship with God is likely to stay superficial. And let me also add that your relationship with other people is likely to be harsh. Because if we criticize other people without realizing that we're like this, well our mouths are going to be full of curses and bitterness just like it says. So I think that actually it's going to be really helpful for us to do reality checks on our lives using this part of the Bible to help us because if it brings us to confession and to conversations with God that say yes God I'm like this too, then the road to um, repentance and reconciliation with God uh, will be open to us, the journey we'll begin. I want to stop us there just to give us a week to take this in and to begin to form this picture of ourselves. it would be really healthy if we did that. And then come back next week because we'll then see what the answer is. And that comes in the rest of this chapter which we'll turn to next Sunday. let's stop there for a moment and uh, we'll take questions and answers in a minute Um, and let's just uh, pray that God will help us to let truths that may be uncomfortable nonetheless sink in so it may be that you might like to uh, think of what you might like to talk to God in the light of what we've heard from the Bible and we'll give a minute to people to do that quietly, privately, silently and then I'll finish off with a prayer after a minute and we will then go on to questions or comments that people might like to make let's be quiet for a moment and talk to God ourselves but perhaps this is a conversation with God that we need to keep having this week but let me draw us together by praying to him our great God we Uh, do want to thank you that you speak to us quite directly and bluntly because I don't think we'll ever want to really listen if uh, we didn't uh, hear things straight and we do confess to you Father that we, all of us, need this particular bubble of pride pricked And we pray that you will bring us to a state of better health by admitting our true condition. And help us, Father, to feel what these things say to us. That it's not just a sort of a a nod at, at words on a piece of paper, but this is something that uh, we take into our hearts. Please, Father, help us to uh, gain uh, a new uh, awareness of uh, our uh, distance from you and our need of you through this particular help uh, in the Bible that we have tonight. Please help us to be uh, more careful with each other when... uh, We see fork lines in other people, knowing that this is entirely true of us. And we pray that you would please, Lord, help us to spend this week uh, thinking through what you've told us tonight. And we pray that they might be so deeply impressed in our hearts that we may live in this awareness for the rest of our lives but help us also Father we pray to see what the answer might be in the Lord Jesus as we keep looking and studying looking at and studying your word and we pray that for his glory, Amen Amen.